Welcome to the ISA Science of Arboriculture podcast series. This series was developed by the International Society of Arboriculture and is brought to you by the Bartlett Tree Expert Company, caring for America's trees since 1907. This podcast series offers full-length educational talks by the world's top researchers, educators, and practitioners, helping to keep you up to date with developments in the arboriculture industry. This is Tom Smiley at the Bartlett Tree Research Laboratory with today's talk, which is by Ed Carpenter on Understanding Fall Protection. It was originally presented at the 2016 ISA International Conference in Fort Worth, Texas. Thank you very much. How's everyone doing this morning? Awesome. How many folks, show of hands, how many folks were out late last night? How many folks had to employ some fall protection, maybe take some extra pillows from your bed and cushion the sides to make sure you didn't roll one way or another? We're going to define what type of fall protection system that is. Can you guys hear me in the back? Show of hands. You guys hear me in the back? Awesome. Real quick show of hands. How many folks learn best by seeing written knowledge or writing something down? Show of hands. How many folks learn best by seeing visuals, seeing pictures? How many folks in this room learn best by actually doing, trying something out, putting your hands on a skill? Awesome. For the folks in the back, if you wouldn't mind, if you guys could stand up for a sec, come on forward. I want to try to keep this as interactive as possible. We've got a lot of distance between me and you. Bring yourselves on forward here. Try to interact as much as we can. So thank you very much, Desiree. My organization, North American Training Solutions, we do a lot of different types of training. We're involved in a lot of different uh, industry associations, ISA being an important one. I also serve on the Technical Advisory Committee for the ITCC. Uh, we do hands-on training all over the U.S. and all over the world. Here's some different training topics that we work on, uh, different seminars that we deliver. But for today's exercise, we want to talk about and understand a little bit about the history of fall protection. Where did it come from? There's a lot of knowledge that was built back in the 40s and 50s that we're still carrying through today. And a lot of folks know that a lot of things have changed since the 40s and 50s, right? So how many folks have been around since the 40s and 50s? Show of hands. Some arborists have been around for that long. How about 60s and 70s? All right, first getting in the career. How about 70s to 80s? How many folks got started in the 90s? How many folks got started in the 2000s? Awesome, awesome. So we have quite a diverse group here. And uh, the thing that I love the most about programs like this is it's a chance for all of us to learn, and it's a chance for all of us to share information with each other. There's some great things. So we're going to understand a little bit about the history of industrial fall protection systems. We're going to define four different types of fall protection systems and ultimately how they relate to tree care. There's a lot of different trades and industries that work at height. There's a lot of different regulations that apply to them. And now, for folks that have been around the tree climbing uh, industry, and especially the tree climbing competitions over the past five to ten years, there's been quite a bit of evolution, true or true. If you open up a catalog or you walk around the trade show floor, there is just endless amounts of gear that's available to a climber now to get themselves into a tree. There's endless tools, not just climbing tools, but there's endless tools like bucket trucks, like some of these spider lifts. Unbelievable. 34 and a half inches wide with 110 foot of reach. These tools are unbelievable. So we have more and more workers that are able to access height locations. 
and we need to protect against a very fatal uh, possibility of falls. We're going to identify the ABCs of fall protection systems and better understand how they apply to tree care. So why do we want to focus on falls? TCIA, um, how many folks are members of TCIA? Show of hands. If not, they have a booth down on the trade show floor. They did have a booth down on the trade show floor. Sh uh, sign up. There's some great stats. This is 2015 TCIA accident data uh, that was gathered from tree care companies all across the U.S. If you take a look, the leading category, it and it has been the leading category over the last five to ten years, is struck buys. But a big growing area of concern is falls. Working at height. Climbing at height. Falls are currently the second leading cause of fatalities in the tree care industry. Real quick show of hands, how many folks have ever either sustained a fall or know somebody that has sustained a fall while working on the job? So how many folks were able to recover from that and now they're back climbing again, they're working well again? Yeah. So it depends on the system that you're using, if you're using a system at all. It depends on a tremendous amount of conditions that go into it. But certainly worthwhile and area of focus. I sit on the ANSI Z133 Safety Committee, which is a consensus standard for tree care in the U.S. And we look at these statistics, and this kind of helps drive and steer uh, the development of safety regulations and safety standards. Uh, we did a lot of work uh, in the area of job site setup and uh, communication on the job site to help avoid struck buys. And we need to do, we've done a lot of work on falls, but we need to do a lot more work. If you guys have a chance, whether you work in the U.S. or not, on the ISA's website, if you take a look, there's a link to the Z up there. And you can click on it, and you can see a lot of the evolutions that have come into the new Z133. And what we're starting to do now, more so than ever, is we're starting to exchange ideas with other countries. We're all working at height. We're all tree care workers. It doesn't matter if we're working in Japan, the U.S., Brazil, Canada, right? So it's important to understand the types of systems that we use and employ them appropriately. A little bit about physics, the F word, physics. Right? We want to talk a little bit about uh, some of Newton's laws, Sir Isaac Newton, that is an illustration of him. Uh, he was a pretty smart guy, discovered some pretty good stuff. So I'm not going to belabor you with all the mathematics, but just give you some basic principles, because it doesn't matter if you're working at height as a climber or if you're rigging at height as a lift operator, these laws apply each and every day. And some of the laws, if you break those laws, they will come back to rear their ugly heads in a, in a not so nice way. So Newton's first law, a body at rest stays at rest and a body in motion stays in motion. What are some ways in tree care that we observe this regularly? Guys sleeping at lunch, body at rest remains at rest? Sure, absolutely, it's a great example. How else? Bucket truck moving around the tree? How does that apply to this, this first law? Body in motion stays in motion? Sure. The tree gets in the way, bucket truck keeps going, something's going to break, sometimes a shroud on the bucket. All right, we're going to take a look at Newton's second law, and this really applies to this particular topic. Right? Force equals mass times acceleration. How do we work with this? How do we, how do we use this principle on a daily basis as tree care workers? Rigging, sure. How many folks were at Mark Chisholm's talk yesterday? Show of hands. Right? He talked about what type of rigging? Low impact, trying to minimize the force on the tree. You know, it's absolutely amazing the tools that we have at our disposal now as arborists. You know, we have ropes that are just incredibly strong, 10 times stronger than steel. Right? What has not changed since the beginning of time? The tree. 
And often, more and more times, the tree becomes the weak link as either part of our climbing system or as part of our rigging system. Newton's third law, for every action there is an equal and opposite reaction. How does this apply on a job site? Walking out on a limb? Sure. Could you expand upon that a little more? If you slip, what's the reaction? Okay, if you've got a lot of slack built up in your system and you slip, right, that action, I'm going out, I'm going out, I'm here, I'm hanging. And the law of gravity takes over. If you slip, the reaction is you're going to bang into the trunk, right? Mass is going to start to accelerate, you're going to bang into the trunk. All great examples. There was a report put together by the health and safety executive in the UK back in 2003. And I use this for a lot of uh, foundation for some research that, that we've been doing that my organization has been working on over the past few years. And what they did with this report is they started to look at the development of fall protection systems globally and how they have elevated themselves to develop now industrial work at height systems. So what this document did was it kind of coalesced and brought together vast amounts of research and vast amounts of data from all over the world. And what we found is a lot of the research that we still use for designing our industrial fall protection systems today, and if anybody was already at Axel's Talks on Monday, you guys know what I'm going to say, it was when the, the, the world first started to develop an Air Force. And they started to fly at height. And they started to try to understand what is the threshold that the human body can take in flight. Whether you're in an object moving, or if something happens to that object, you have to eject out. What is the threshold that you can take? And there is an amazing amount of, of research that still continues to this day, but it's all based on the principle of gravity and the principle of mass accelerating, right? So for gravity, we accelerate 32 feet per second per second, or 9.18 meters per second per second in a free fall situation. Show of hands, how many folks have ever been skydiving, right? How many folks just thought it was awesome? I had the opportunity when the ITCC was in Hawaii a few years back. We had a chance to go skydiving in Hawaii. It was incredible. Uh, we went all the way up to the northwest side of the island, and uh, we jumped out. We jumped, jumped tandem for the first time. So 10,000 feet, you're tandem. You're with a, a second person. So the jump master, you're clipped to him. When you leave the plane, the first thing you do is throw out what? They have a little Drager chute, right, to kind of slow you down. Because two people, when you're accelerating at that speed, if you pull your full canopy and you don't slow down to the velocity of a single person, what's going to happen to that canopy? It's not going to, yeah, it's not going to stop you, right? So the, these principles, they, they apply, and I'm going to explain how they tie back into our fall protection. So with this research, and AGARD was the particular body of, uh, of, of the research institute that was doing a lot of this research, they started to look at G-force and what the threshold of G-force is on the human body. And what they found out, if you take a look at this graph right here, is look right between, let me see if my pointer is working here. Uh, it's not working. All right, so we have zero on the left-hand side. We have zero, five, 10, 15. 15 is the upper threshold. What they found is 12 Gs is about the maximum threshold that the human body can take before a person loses, loses consciousness or has some sort of internal problem. They're not going to be able to tolerate that. So when we're designing our fall protection systems, if that's the maximum threshold, think about it in rigging terms, that's the minimum brake strength of the body. We can't take more than that, right? There are small populations that can, but these are incredibly fit individuals. These are typically people that we put into space. 
right? For the vast majority of us, we're not trained and conditioned the same way as, as military personnel that fly at height. So what we need to do is we need to implement a factor of safety and we need to come down and find something that's more reasonable. So if you look between five and 10, some numbers that we settled on was 8KN, 6KN, and 4KN in some instances, right? And the amount of kilonewtons of force results in the g-force on the body. I'm gonna, I'm gonna explain that a little bit more in detail. So if we take a look at body mass on the left-hand side, and we look at some of these different arresting forces, if a person falls, we need to slow them down somehow, right? We need to decelerate. And there's different systems that do that in different ways. When we're climbing a tree, we don't want to generate a lot of slack in our system because our systems are not designed to arrest a fall. They're positioning systems. We need to keep them under tension so that we can move fluidly throughout the canopy. Oh, that is a pointer right there. My word, I'll say, absolutely. Thank you, thank you, Degray. Uh, so the body mass on the left-hand side here, up in the upper threshold, we have very light body masses, 50 kN, down at the lower, much larger. Most of the industrial fall protection systems that we use in the world kind of work right in this middle spot with 100 kg mass, 100 kilograms. How many pounds in a kilogram? Okay, 2.2, so about 220 pounds. So you can see these 6 kN arresters, which is typically what's used in Europe, 8 kN arresters, which is typically what's used in the US and, and uh, Canada, and most of them activate at around 4 kN. So 100 kg mass with a 6 kN arrestor if you happen to activate it at 4KN, the 6KN arrestor on 100KG mass is going to keep the force on the body around 6Gs, or about 50% of that maximum threshold. If we know and understand that, what is the likelihood of a person surviving a fall and having that energy dissipate through that system if they're using appropriate fall protection? It's pretty good, right? What happens when we get in this upper range here and we have a very light mass that is using a, an arrestor, and we approach this 6G threshold, what is the likelihood of having a, a, a more serious incident or more serious traumatic injury happen to that individual? It's much higher, right? Much, much higher. So it's important that we understand the thresholds that our systems are designed for and how we can better work with them. So again, the concept of G-force. Uh, I never thought when I first started working in, in fall protection and doing some of this research that it would take me to where I am today. So I'm very proud and very honored to work with my sister. Um, this is a, a project I want to take a second to share with you guys. Uh, this guy, his, his name is, is Sergeant Eddie Ryan. And Eddie Ryan is a 31-year-old ex-Marine. Well, Eddie told me, once you're a Marine, you're always a Marine. He's been honorably discharged from the military. Eddie was injured in Afghanistan he had a traumatic brain, brain injury. He was shot in the head. The doctor said when he left Afghanistan, he would probably never walk again. Now, Eddie is wheelchair bound, and in his head, he may have a lot of complications, but in his heart, he is 100% still a Marine. The VA, about 12 and a half months ago, cut his benefits because Eddie wasn't making enough progress. Right? He wasn't able to restore cognitive function. He wasn't able to restore a lot of physical ability. He's quite challenged, to say the least. My sister is a doctor of physical therapy. She did a talk on Monday on, on uh, health and wellness for tree care workers. And she took Eddie on as a pro bono case. And she asked me, she said, you know what? 
<clears throat> Eddie has this goal, and it's a pretty lofty goal, but I think it's doable. By July 1st of 2016, now this man is wheelchair-bound, has been for the last six years, he wanted to stand. So she said, I think we can do it. He's got a Hoyer lift system in his home that they lift him to get him out of his chair and, and into his, his tub and into different exercise equipment. And uh, with that Hoyer lift, she said, you know, if we can get him into that and we can support him with some sort of harness, you know, as he can start to weight bear, can start to restore function, then he can start to use it as a light gate to move throughout his home. And this was back on June 5th when we first did this. And what we did was we rigged up a bucket harness, and on his Hoyer lift, which is electric, we were able to lift Eddie up, and we got him standing. And the interesting thing is my sister had a student at the time, and the student's research specialty, because they have to do a research project, was on the, the neuroscience of the body. And the first time that we did that, way back in June, what happened when he stood, there's a nerve that connects through the psoas muscle to the hip flexor from the brain. Because Eddie had been in a seated position for so long, that nerve had been closed. But as soon as he stood, what do you think happened to that nerve? It came alive. It refired again. Since that time, he has made tremendous progress to the effect that the VA has now restored his benefits. There's a local congressperson getting involved and, and starting to, to take on that project. And uh, I just, I never thought that the understanding some basic realms of fall protection would take me in this, in this particular field. But understanding the mechanics behind it, being supported like a parachute harness, we wanted to support him on both shoulders, right? We wanted to support the body more evenly. If we just went with a dorsal attachment in the back, like we would with the fall arrest system, he wouldn't be able to stand, he'd be kind of hunched over, right? But understanding some of these mechanics was, uh, was, was pretty incredible. So, what is the difference between someone jumping out of an airplane and your everyday tree worker who's working at height? I want you guys to take one minute. You're going to need a sheet of paper. And I want you to write down some of the differences and some of the similarities of tree care workers working at height. It doesn't matter if you work in a bucket, a lift, or climber, compared to someone that jumps out of an airplane. One minute, starting now. Similarities. Similarities and differences. All right, pens down. Okay, find a partner, someone you know, someone you may not know, someone nearby, somewhere far away. Find a partner, and we're going to take 45 seconds. We're going to share between partners some of the similarities and some of the differences. Hang on, hang on. Find your partner first. Find your partner first. Find your partner first. Once you have a partner, put your hand in the air. Once you have a partner, put your hand in the air. Okay, we have everyone has a partner, and go. 45 seconds. Some of the similarities, some of the differences. All right, who would like to share? Who would like to share? Yes. You have to have trust. Absolutely. Is that a similarity or is that a difference? Okay. What are you trusting if you're jumping out of an airplane? That the chute's going to open. What are you trusting as a tree care worker? Your rope, saddle. Your rope, your saddle, those sorts of things. Great. Absolutely. Anybody else? Yes. The safety gear must work properly in order to survive. The safety gear must work properly 
in order to survive. How many people agree with that statement? Absolutely. One more. Sure. So they're both falling, right? The arresting system in the, the person jumping out of an airplane is the parachute. The arresting system in a tree climber is his rope, his lanyard, that sort of stuff. Excellent. Big difference in that, though, is the parachute is no nose is falling. Did everyone hear that? He said the parachutist knows he's falling. When you jump out of that plane, it is inevitable that you are falling. True or true? Right? And the expectation is that your chute's going to open, and if your chute doesn't open, then what? Pull your reserve. Right? Pull your reserve. The tree care worker, if he's not expecting it, right, he may not be positioned for it. He may not have a system that can deal with the forces that he can exert on it. You're absolutely right. And so that's why if we push close to that 12G limit, the likelihood of surviving that fall is very low, right? But when we implement safety factors and we're re reducing the limit, we're keeping slack out of our system when we're climbing, we're keeping slack out of our system if we're working out of a lift, the likelihood of coming out of it much, much higher. So different fall protection systems. And how many folks still have their partner? Show of hands. Okay, we're going to take just a minute. We're going to go through some of these different fall protection systems. And the reason that I'm wearing this harness is I want to point out where some of these fall protection systems are because we need to be able to connect onto ourselves, right? We have the ABCs of fall protection. A stands for anchor, B is body support, which I have here, C is connecting device, all right? So in the system in the upper left-hand side there, the guy that's kind of sitting in the seat, what type of system is that? Suspension system, suspension system. So on my harness, where am I gonna be hanging from with the suspension system? From the front, I'm gonna be hanging from a bridge, Right, I also have another option here I can hook in. I could hook in here and suspend if I wanted to. I got a lot of options with this particular harness. I have a lot of different places to connect. Right, I could connect into both of these together. What about if I connect it into just one? Uh, probably physically gonna hold me. How comfortable is it gonna be? Not very comfortable. All right, if we come down, or actually let's go over to the right. What about the system on the right-hand side to the right of the suspension system? Positioning. Where am I clipping in if I'm positioning? On my hips, right here. I have some other options here. I could also position off my front. I could position off of here if I wanted to as well. So if we drop down to the low left, right, what type of system is that? Fall, uh, fall arrest, okay. This particular harness that I have on, I have a fall arrest connection in the back. Your fall arrest connector should be, or your fall arrest connection anchor point on your body harness should be between the shoulder blades. It should be adjusted appropriately. If it's too high, what's going to happen in a fall situation? The connector is going to come up and strike you in the head. If it's too low, when you fall, you're going to be hanging too flat. Rather than dispersing the load through the body, if I'm hanging flat and I fall like this, where's all the load going to go? Right on my spine. Right, it's going to break me in half. And then if we move down to the lower right, what type of system do we have there? Fall restraint, fall restraint. All right, so with your partner, I need you guys to stand up. Go ahead and stand up with your partner. We're gonna take a look at where some of these different fall protection systems are. And you better introduce yourself to your partner if you didn't have a chance to introduce yourself to your partner because we're gonna get a little bit close here. And what I want you to do is the first one we're gonna look at is we're gonna look at, we're gonna skip suspension because that gets a little too personal. We're gonna go right to work positioning on the right. I want you to grab your partner by your belt loops and I want you to lean back and kind of feel how that work positioning system is going to support you. So with your partner, you're going to grab them by the belt loops and you're going to kind of lean back, lean back, feel how that positioning system, you want to be facing each other, you want to be facing each other, facing each other is helpful, 
Lean back. Lean back. Okay? Don't tear the belt loops out. That never goes well. Do not tear the poor fellas or ladies belt loops out. Right? And then once one person has a chance to do it, go ahead and switch. Have the other person do it. Have the other person do it. Okay? Good, good. Okay, now what we're going to do is one person is going to be facing the other person's back. All right? One person is going to be facing the other person's back. So you got to both be facing the same direction. Now what you're going to do is you're going to lean forward. You're going to grab them by the back of the pants. No wedgies. No wedgies on this one. None. And you're going to lean forward. You're going to lean forward. Lean forward. So here I have an anchor point right on the back of my harness. My restraint system would restrain me. I can't get close to that edge. Imagine there's an edge in front of you. You don't want to go over it. Hold him. Hold him on for dear life. Hold him. He's going to fall. Hang on. <laughs> All right, then go ahead and switch. Switch. Switch partners. Switch partners. Again, no wedgies. No wedgies. And lean forward. Lean, lean, lean forward. Lean forward. Lean forward. All right, good. Go ahead and let go. And we're just going to gently do this one. We're not actually going to dis... We're, and I just want you to take the middle of the back. I want you to... Grab a person's shirt right between the shoulder blades and just pull up on it gently until the shirt just comes to load. We don't want to pull anybody's shirts off. We're not trying to do anything like that. But just pull up gently. What will start to happen is the sleeves will start to load into the armpits. All right, just gently. And once one partner has a chance to do that, go ahead and switch. Do it to the other partner. Do it to the other partner. Perfect, 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 guys. Go ahead and have a seat. Look at your partner and say, that was some good fall protection. So using these different types of fall protection systems and where we connect in and how we connect in, we can generate different forces, and our body's going to be able to tolerate it in different ways. So the ITCC, uh, the Technical Advisory Committee, we put together this table that looked at fall protection systems from across the world, and particularly components of fall protection systems. We're going to focus primarily on the European ones and the U.S. ones, and even more so on the U.S. ones. So it, it, we address things like accessory cords, backup devices, connectors, energy absorbers, the harnesses themselves the different criteria that they have to meet. What we tried to do is we looked at all work at height across the globe and tried to bring this body of information together so that as tree climbers, as tree care workers, as bucket operators, as workers at height, we have a better understanding of the components that are available to us, how they need to perform, and then start to get an idea of how we need to build our systems. With all the complexities of the tools that we have available to us, more and more often when we're out doing our safety classes, I see people that are putting components together that don't necessarily match well. They're not compatible. They're not designed to, to go well together. It's important that we understand these things. So a fall restraint system, we're going to start with that one. That's typically the, the best form of fall protection that you can have is a, what we call passive fall protection. Right? And oftentimes on a building or something, that would be handrails or some sort of netting system. These are active fall protection systems. These are systems where we're using PPE, we're using full body harnesses. So fall restraint, basically what we want to do is we want to restrain the worker from entering an area where they can fall. If I'm working on the edge of a building, I don't want to be able to fall over that edge. I'd have some sort of tether system that's going to hold me back. I can't get close to the edge to fall. Right? With that sort of system, if I'm using a lanyard that's very short, what's the likelihood of me developing massive amounts of slack in the system? And what's the likelihood of me needing a lot of energy dissipation in that system. Pretty low. It's pretty low. So if you take a look down all the way in the bottom there, you can see the load force that we need, or as the ANSI Z359 is looked at, that anchorage only needs to be able to sustain a 1,000-pound load. And the reason is we're not generating a lot of slack in that system. It's a tether system. We want to keep the system under tension. 
right? The anchor doesn't need to be drastically strong because we're not exposing it to these massive fall forces. And again, this 1,000-pound force, this is for what we call a certified anchor. For non-certified anchorages, it needs to be two and a half times that, right? So another example that we see that's very similar, this has gained a lot of prevalence, particularly in the lineman's world. How many utility folks do we have out there? Show of hands, any utility folks? Okay, one. Uh, wood pole fall restriction devices, uh, we see a lot of those now. A, a wood pole choking system, so that as a lineman is ascending a pole, if he happens to gaff out, what's the system designed to do? It's designed to choke, right? There's not a mandate right now in tree care, but how often, just by show of hands, how often are climbers ascending a tree, they just have their lanyard or they just have their rope around, and it's not a cinching system that's going to grab the stem. If they gaff out and all they do is have their rope around, what's going to happen to them? They're going to slide. They're going to slip quite a distance, right? Is that a fall protection system, right? It keeps them attached to the tree, but it doesn't stop them, right? They can still free fall down the stem. So I just want to throw that out there. It's something interesting. It's something that we're starting to look at. More often than not, we're very familiar with this, work positioning systems. How many folks have used a work positioning system? Show of hands. How many folks use a work positioning system on a regular basis? Show of hands. Absolutely. So we connect in from our hips. We're often connected in with a lanyard, right? We, we don't want to generate a lot of slack in that system. Work positioning systems are designed to be used from our hips to our head. What happens if our positioning system falls down to our feet? We got a problem, right? We have slack in the system. Again, the system's not designed to absorb energy. We can, we can run into some issues. So we have suspended work positioning systems, and we have uh, lateral attached work positioning systems. Uh, one thing that's kind of interesting is ANSI Z359 looked at the threshold, the anchorage threshold for a positioning system, and they said, you know what? For a positioning system, as long as we can keep the slack to less than 24 inches or 0.6 meters, right, we're not generating a lot of slack in the system, so the ability to dissipate that energy is relatively low. As tree climbers with our climbing ropes, though, if we get moving out there and we have this big belly of slack in our rope, Right? Again, it's a positioning system. The rope's not designed to absorb energy. When we fall into that, rather than the force going into the rope, where's the force going? Into us, right? into us, into our anchor. So with a positioning system, we need to keep that slack at less than 24 inches. All right? 18 inches, less than 24 inches, as little slack as possible. With that being said, the anchorages that they've established, now these are for certified anchors, these are for, for concrete anchors, steel anchors, 3,000 pounds of force or two and a half times the foreseeable load. For fall arrest, this is where we're not expecting a fall. We happen to get pitched out of a bucket or something. We're falling into that system. That has to be our strongest anchor, right? 5,000 pounds has to be able to sustain that. And when we're supported from the back, if we're not expecting a fall, the research that they had done back the, the military research they had done with, uh, with parachutists is if a person's not expecting a fall, the best way that they can be suspended is from their back in a head forward position, right, if you're not expecting a fall. Because otherwise, when you go to load through the pelvis, I'm putting an excessive load on my spine. If I go to load through the chest, their big fear is having a connector come up and strike the face. I had a hand, I had a hand up. The only, what type of, that's a great question. So the gentleman back here, or the gentleman up here said, they're still allowing waist belts to be used in a bucket. What type of system is a waist belt? I heard one person here say work positioning. So if it's a work positioning system, we need to maintain 24 inches of slack. What size lanyard should we, we be using? Short lanyard. 
a work position or a, a, a body belt is really this type of system here. It's a fall restraint system, right? So you need to minimize. OSHA actually reinterpreted their definition and they said a fall restraint system does not allow you to fall at all. What's the fall distance? Zero. OSHA came right out and said that in 1910-269 in the revision. Right? So if a person is using a waist belt, they need to make sure that they're using it appropriately. Using a fall restraint belt with a fall arrest lanyard has catastrophic consequences. And it was very common in tree care. They take two components that are incompatible and they put them together. That's one really, really good example. Yes? There's some systems out there that folks are looking at. Altec starting to pioneer a system in the bucket to restrain the worker. Uh, Buckingham has worked on a system where it goes around the lip of the bucket to restrain the worker. Uh, it's, it's minimizing that fall distance. So again, what happens is folks don't understand the type of fall protection system they're using, and they're taking the body belt, fall restraint, connection, body support, and they're hooking into it with a fall arresting lanyard. Those are two incompatible components. So great, great question, great, great point. Um, so with a fall arrest system, with a fall arrest system, uh, I, need to have, I need to have some distance. I need to be able to dissipate that energy over some distance. So if I have a six-foot guy with a six-foot lanyard, and I have a shock pack in that lanyard that's going to deploy, it's going to dissipate some energy, it's going to start to deploy at about 4KN, or about 600 pounds of force, right? and it's going to minimize the force on my body. It's going to keep the force on my body below 900 pounds. But I need to have this clearance here. So ANSI came back, and they have two different, two different distances that they're going to use. They have a 48-inch shock pack, and they have a 60-inch shock pack. With a 48-inch shock pack, I have a certain amount of energy to, to, or a certain amount of material in there to dissipate the load. I have to be 19 feet above an obstruction or above a surface in order for that system to work. All right, so if I'm using a fall arrest system, but I'm only five or six feet off the ground, what's going to happen if I fall? I'm going to hit the ground, right? Am I using fall protection? Yes. Am I using it inappropriately? Yes. It's not going to minimize my fall. It's not going to do what it needs to do. I need to be, I need to have some distance. I need to have some height above us, right? Now what they've done for, for iron workers and for folks that are doing wind tower work and that sort of stuff, when they're anchoring in down at their feet and they have quite a bit of distance, you know, if you're on a 100 meter wind tower, you're 300 feet in the air, if you get pitched off the side, they want to be able to dissipate that energy over longer distance. So they have these 60 inch shock packs for when you have to anchor in down low, when you're anchoring in at your feet. But I need, I need to have 20 feet of clearance above an obstruction before I can hit that. So 19 feet or 20 feet. Fall arresting systems only work when you have some distance between you and the obstruction. You gotta have some distance there. So rope access is, uh, is, is gaining popularity. We see this more and more in the industrial world. I'm a Sprat level two technician. I have not had a chance to go and take my Sprat level three. Basically what they do is they have a positioning line that they're able to position themselves to or on a structure, and they also have a backup line. These are often anchored to separate anchors and or load sharing anchors, and the positioning line, they'll often work on that line with a device such as this. Here I have an ID, a couple different versions, right? And their backup line has a mobile fall arrestor that basically just trails, it tracks along them. So that if they have a main line failure, their positioning line fails, what's gonna back them up? Their backup line, their backup line and their backup fall arrestor, right? When are we exposed, as tree care workers, when are we exposed to a possible fall or a possible failure of our fall protection system? There's one activity in particular more so than anything. 
Footlock, yes, but what about when we're doing, what am I doing here? Chainsaw or any sort of cutting motion, right? And we have it written right in our standards. Anytime we're cutting, how many forms of fall protection do we need to have? Two, okay? We need to have either a suspension system and a positioning system, two positioning systems, some sort of way, because if one system fails, we want to have a backup, right? We're not that different than rope access in some instances. How many folks employ that 100% of the time, anytime they're cutting? Okay. How many folks, they employ it like 90% of the time, but sometimes they get a little bit relaxed? Be honest. It's okay. We're not going to judge. We've all been there. Um, it's something to look at. It's certainly something to look at. It's something that's quite intriguing, and uh, it's, it's something to, uh, to spend some time on. So I want you guys, again, to take one minute with these different types of fall protection. We talked about some different examples. I'm going to go back to the beginning. Here we go. And we're going to take one minute. I want you guys to write down suspension, work positioning, fall restraint, and fall arrest. And write down some examples that you use in your daily work routine or your crews use in their daily work routine where they may employ some of these systems. One minute starting now. All right. Who would like to share? Yes. Okay. So he said uh, suspension anytime that he's uh, climbing a tree, suspended by his rope. Positioning, positioning anytime he's cutting, working with a handsaw, working with a chainsaw. And correct me if I'm wrong if I didn't hear you right. Um, so he's supported laterally. Fall arrest when you're working in a lift, right? A bucket truck or a, a mobile man lift. And fall restraint when you are on a ladder. Could you give me an example of that? How you'd restrain a fall on a ladder? Okay. Now again, to restrain your fall, you need to have how much slack in the system? Zero. Zero. So just make sure if you're using that, I'm not saying, it, it depends, it's case dependent, but when a fall restriction system is designed to not absorb energy. So there are ladder systems out there, they have what's called safe climbs, where there's a ladder or a cable grab, anybody that's done tower work, and you clip onto it, when you're climbing the rungs, if you happen to slip off, it catches you right away. There's often a hard connection. And there are ones for mobile ladders as well. So, but a fall restriction system, if you're going to employ it, make sure you're minimizing that fall distance. That's the key. Excellent, excellent, excellent. All right, so we talked a little bit about the different types of fall protection systems. Now we're going to talk about the components of those fall protection systems. Every single fall protection system, doesn't matter if it's restraint, work positioning, fall arrest, suspension, all of them are comprised of these three things. These are the ABCs of fall protection, right? Every single one has to have an anchor. We have to have an anchor. If we're involved in tree work and we're climbing, what is our anchor? The tree, yes. We may have supplemental anchors. We may have things like false crotches, right, that we can put around the limb, but ultimately what's the false crotch anchor to? The tree. So we need to know something about the tree's integrity. We need to know something about the tree's strength. Every single one of them has to have some sort of body support. It doesn't matter if you're working from a lift or if you're climbing a tree, you have to have some sort of body support. Here, the one that I have, I can, accommodate, I can accommodate every form of fall protection. I can accommodate fall arrest, I can accommodate suspension, I can accommodate work position. I have all the options. So if I'm working in a bucket, and my bucket's only 60 feet, but the tree that I'm working in is 120, right? I would use the bucket for as much as I can, employing a fall arrest system. When I go to leave the bucket, I'm going to tie into the tree and I'm going to transition into what type of system? Suspension or work positioning. Yep, suspension or work positioning. Right? And every single one of them has to have a connecting device as well. 
So we're going to move through these pretty quick. The definition of an anchor, I'm not going to read through it. I'll give you guys just a minute to read through it, what an anchor is. The bottom is the key. Must be capable of supporting the intended load in the fall protection system. Right? That is absolutely key. Um, the, more and more we hear about these failures of people's anchor points. We had one not too long ago at, at, at actually at an ISA TCC out in the Rocky Mountain chapter. Uh, was anybody there? Show of hands. Anybody at that particular event? Yes? So it was in the Master's Challenge, very seasoned climber, set his line, <clears throat> tested the anchor point. How do we test our anchor point before we climb? We bounce on it, right? Looked a little bit questionable, had a judge come over. Two of them tested it, right? They assessed the integrity of it. Then he started to ascend into the canopy, used his system. He had it tied off to the base of the tree. The rope was going up through the union, down. It was anchored about 70 feet. When he got to about 25 feet, the limb started to crack, and the limb started to fail, and the limb actually did fail. Were, were you in the arena when it happened, or you were just a spectator? You were the head judge, so I'm sure you can tell us exactly verbatim what, what took place. But the fall was about 20, 20 feet, 20 to 25 feet from what I understand? It was between 15 and 20 feet. And in, in, in when he fell, what, what, if you could kind of rehash the events of what took place, what? Well, all right, so you, um, we, where do you want me to start? <laughs> well, we only got about five minutes left, so we need to, we, we need okay. to keep it brief. Um, well, I'd start with just what happened. There were some other things before the whole thing that I could talk about as well, but... Mm -hmm. Um, he put his rope into a uh, crotch that I approved. I was the head judge of that event. Um, and just so you know, I had been up in the tree. I inspected that because I, it would have been the place that I would have wanted to put my rope. And, uh, and that was what everybody was looking at as far as placing rope placement. And I inspected it. It was a good five, six inches diameter. Everything looked fine, um, and uh, I didn't see any problems with it. There was no obvious you know, decay or defects or anything in it. Anyway, so we approved it, and we did test it. We had two people on it. It was a little bouncy. Um, and one of the other judges and myself as he started to climb, as he started to ascend his rope, we're looking at that and we're going, that doesn't feel right. It's bouncing too much. Not only is it bouncing, but it's starting to twist, that his weight on it was actually tor putting torsion on it. So it was more than just a normal kind of bouncy limb. And... Uh, so he got it, and we were just at the point we were going, this doesn't look like, we don't feel comfortable with this, we were going to tell him to stop, that is when it broke. And he was at least 15 feet off the ground, somewhere between 15 and 20, and he dropped straight to the ground because there was nothing, um, his rope was over that one single leader only, it wasn't over anything else. Uh, and he was basal tied. Um, 
And so he did drop straight to the ground. Fortunately, um, he dinged up his knee a little bit, um, and he was in shock a little bit, but uh, um, he seemed to be unharmed. Um, he, we made him lay down for a while, even though, and he kept asking, can I, can I do this again? Can I, can I get another chance? And we were like, no, sorry, not with a fall like that. You know, you're, you got so much adrenaline in you right now um, that uh, you may have other injuries that, you know, you don't even know yet. And so we tried to be very careful. And, uh, but um, by the end of the, the next person who went, who, by the way, when the next person came to do his climb, um, he looked up there and said, damn, that was the one I was going to use. And, and so, um, you know, it was one of those things that, uh, um, and we did look at the branch carefully afterwards, and there was decay in it. It was not decay that you could see from the outside of the tree. I'm sorry? It was a uh, Siberian elm. So um, the, the one thing that, um, well, there's several things I would have done differently in this situation. But the one thing that would have made all the difference in the world that would have been so simple to do right then and there was to say, you can use that as long as it's backed up. You were talking about using backup systems. All he had to do is have it over, there were other leaders and other limbs behind that one, and all he had to do is have it, instead of going up and over that one, and then straight down, up and over that one, over a couple more, and then down to the basal tie, and if it had broken at that point, he'd have taken a little bit of a fall, but maybe six feet. It wouldn't have been all the way to the ground. And uh, so, you know, there's, uh, it, it, I will never, you know, I'll never allow somebody again after watching that, no matter how herky it looks like, to have only a single, uh, over a single thing with, with they're doing that sort of a system, a, a, a RST system. And, and so, uh, you know, if they had a backup, everything would have been fine, and it would have been so simple just to have a backup of just over a few more branches. Thank you very much for sharing that. Guys, we are close to time, but I just want to leave this up here. I think um, the other components of those systems, I'm not going to get into detail, but if you guys would like to discuss it with me. Anchorage is at the very top, and I'm glad that we had a chance to, to share this, because this is a great example of why it needs to be of such high concern. You know, this is a, 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 national, you know, a, a regionally recognized event, you know, but certainly you know, having an international audience here, make sure you guys take the time to thoroughly inspect your anchor points. We have all sorts of systems we can employ to work at height, but that anchor, that tree, if that's the weak link, make sure you back it up somehow. So thank you guys very much. This concludes Ed Carpenter's talk on understanding fall protection. To learn more, you can find additional materials at the ISA web store, including the DVD, Ergonomic Awareness and Safety for Tree Care Workers. If you would like to receive CEUs for listening to this lecture, please visit the ISA online store and select Online CEU Quizzes. Thank you for listening to this episode, which was brought to you by the Bartlett Tree Expert Company, 
Caring for America's Trees since 1907. Remember to subscribe to this podcast series and join us next time for another episode of Science of Arboriculture. Trees in every country. Trees, you know we can. Work together and learn what we need to meet the challenge. Traditional skills and modern techniques. Whatever language you speak, you have a world to offer every day. Climb with the ISA.